Are you a counsellor or a psychotherapist wanting to attract more clients more simply? Then you, lovely person, are in the right place because I'm here to help you navigate marketing and remove any confusion and overwhelm that you might feel. Oh, and ditch that critical, nagging inner voice too. So each week I'll offer you inspiration, motivation and practical advice so you can get your marketing done and then get on with your life. I'm Jane Travis and welcome to the Grow Your Private Practice show. It's great to have you here. Hi and welcome back and if it's your first visit, I'm so glad that you found us. Now, I've got a treat for you today because I've managed to get a fantastic guest onto the show. We have with us today Sophia Giblin. And what can I say about Sophia? Well, she is the award-winning founder of Clear Sky Children's Charity, which is a play and creative arts therapy charity for children in the Thames Valley. Now, Sophia set up a charity at the age of 23 with a minimal amount of experience and a big vision for change because she wanted to get seen in the world. Now as well as having a master's in play therapy, Sophia also has a BA in business administration and combines her business acumen with her passion and experience in charity to help heart-centered entrepreneurs to develop projects that make a real difference in the world. Now, Sophia's been successfully fundraising for charities and charitable courses now for over 10 years, raising, wait for it, half a million pound for charities. And that has a big impact on people's lives, as you can imagine. Now, today, we looked at how to work with charities, both to give back and to increase your visibility locally. And there are so many ideas in this podcast I ended up being really fired up and ready to go by the end of it. Now, just to let you know, there is a free resource that goes with this podcast that we put together for you, which you're, you can find at janetravis.co.uk slash 32. So go and grab that and have a little listen. I think you're going to enjoy this one. So a really warm welcome to Sophia. It's really great to have you here. I couldn't be happier having you on the podcast. And I know you've got so much stuff that my listeners are going to be really excited about learning. But before we get stuck into ways that we can give back, maybe you'd like to tell us a little bit about yourself and sort of what's got you to where you are today. Yeah, absolutely. Well, thank you so much for having me. Really happy to be here today talking about a subject that I love to talk about. I could talk about for hours on end. Um, which is all around charity. Um, so I I made my way into the charity world kind of by accident, I guess. My story is, um, well, it starts all the way back. I sort of go all the way back to, um, to childhood. When I was um, 15, I experienced some trauma when I lost my mum as a teenager during my GCSE years. And um, as we all know, anybody that's listening to this as a counselor or psychotherapist, how grief can impact on our lives, you know, for a really long time. Um, But particularly at that age, when it's such a difficult and tender age where you don't really have the words to describe what's going on. uh, I really noticed as I got into my early 20s that I was still really, really struggling with grief and showing up in all kinds of ways in my life with anxiety and low mood. And I guess I just hadn't really processed properly what had happened and I was sort of looking around for some inspiration at the time because I'd kind of done the contained bit of finishing off my 
my studies. I you know, went and did my A-levels and I went to university. Not that I, I didn't want to do any of those things, but I kind of felt like at least that, that was something that would keep me on track. And I went and did a degree in business at university with because my dad, who's a salesman, he pretty much sold me into it. He goes, just go and do a degree in business and get a nice little marketing job at the end. And I was thinking, well, I don't really know what else to do. So, you know, I just went off and did it. It wasn't really where my passion was. I'd only ever worked with children, which was quite interesting. I'd worked in a school setting with children with profound multiple learning disabilities. So I was kind of like, I don't really know how I'm going to marry these two things together of business degree and working with children. But when I, when I came out of university and I was struggling with my mental health because of the grief, I kind of looked around for, for a bit of inspiration for what to do. And my cousin was training as a play therapist at the time. I'd never come across play therapy before. I assume that probably some of your listeners know what play therapy is, but maybe maybe not everybody. It'd be interesting for you to tell us. I mean, like you say, it's, I've heard of it, mm. but it's something that isn't the most mainstream of therapies, is it? So it'd be interesting to know a little bit more about it. Yeah, definitely. Well, I think that's what I thought when, when my cousin was saying, I'm training as a play therapist. And I was like, I've never heard of this thing. Um, what is it? And she explained to me, she's like, it's, it's a form of counselling or psychotherapy for children that uses play and creativity instead of words to help them process their difficult feelings. And it was a bit like a light bulb went off for me at that moment because I was like, oh my goodness, wouldn't I have benefited from that back when I was 15 when my mum died and you know, I'm the eldest of four children. My youngest sibling was only nine at the time and none of us were able to access that type of therapeutic support. And so I started to look a little bit more into this interplay therapy and she was saying to me well the challenges are that I'm doing this training but there's no jobs out there that for play therapists at the end of it and I, I don't want to set up my own business because I want to be a therapist and I was like well that's fair enough but what a shame that there's no kind of not that many roles out there for people who are qualified to help children in this way um, and then the other thing that she said to me that was a challenge was that she's like well, I'm talking to lots of schools but they often say that they don't have the budget for the work and they haven't got money for this type of support for children. And I was like, oh my goodness, this is such a shame. There's such a need here. We know that children's mental health is really on the decline and um, there's not enough money and not enough of the, the right people doing the right work. So I was like, okay, it's like I found a, a spark of inspiration and I thought I'm going to set something up that helps provide funding for therapy so make it accessible for children and provide therapists with jobs so that they can go out there and actually do the work when it's needed the most. So that's how I kind of started in the charity world. Yeah. Well, I was going to say, I mean, that's perfect, isn't it? You're seeing that there's a need for this to happen and you're seeing that there's also nothing out there and that you create something to fill that gap so that you can create something so that those kids get what they need. And you're in a position to help them. So I guess all that business work that you did paid off. Yeah, exactly. It's really interesting because I, I was, was really not sure how I would ever use my degree. <laughs> I was trying to get all these, like I was going for sales and HR jobs and never, get, never getting any of them because it was the recession, like the 2008 recession at the time. There weren't that many jobs around anyway. And also I didn't have the heart for it. So I managed to find something that I that I felt super passionate about and I was only 23 at the time when I set up the charity and it's almost like I had no experience, but I had such a drive and a vision mm. that I couldn't not do it. Mm. I, I mean, that, not take a chance. 
Absolutely. And it's that it's passion, isn't it? That takes you forward. And that's why I say to people, you know, if really connect with why you're doing what you're doing, because that passion is the thing that gets you out of bed, isn't it? Because, you know, without that, it's just it's just a job. <laughs> yes. So, yeah, absolutely. So you got to know more about the inner workings of charities. Yeah. So what happened, like just before I kind of decided that I was going to set up Clear Sky, I actually was doing some voluntary work as a fundraiser for a brand new charity uh, that had no funding. They'd literally just started out. And I was learning the ins and outs of trust fundraising. Like I'd never heard of this thing before. I, just, I thought fundraising was just standing at the front of Sainsbury's with a pot, you know, <laughs> with a big bucket, <laughs> sitting yeah. in a tub of baked beans. <laughs> exactly that. <laughs> and so like my view of what, what fundraising was was so narrow. And once I had got a bit of experience in this realm, I was like, oh, okay. So actually fundraising is actually really quite accessible for everybody if you know how to do it, if you know how, to, if you've got the right business set up. Um, and if you know how to write project plans, which is essentially what fundraising is, it's, it's about having the right kind of business plan that people can get behind and go, yep, I can see the need for that project. I can see how that will benefit people. They've explained it really well to me. Yes, I want to give my money to this. Mm. Um, and in a way, it's a sales job. <laughs> it's just a different type of, of yeah. selling. You're selling like societal benefit and change rather than a good or a product or service. Yeah, yeah. So how long was you doing that for? So I started out that journey when I was 23. I did it for 10 years wow. at Clear Sky Children's Charity. Yeah, so that was the charity that I set up, which is based in Oxfordshire. Um, it grew to quite a large charity. And uh, in 2019, I decided that I'd taken it through its baby and its child stages. Um, and it was time for me to sort of hand, hand over the reins to somebody else and stepped out of the CEO role then. How, how I, was that for you? I wonder what that must have been like after sort of birthing this business and going through, because it, it must have taken a lot to get that up and running, to then hand it over. What was that like for you? Yeah, it was tough. It was like a proper, was another ending, another period of grief that you go through with that sort of thing. But maybe what I didn't realise when I started out in charity is that when you start one, it's never yours it's it's the people's it yeah. belongs to the beneficiaries and you have no stake in it in that sense you you do something for out of the good of your heart really and yeah you might get paid for it so you know that it's not completely charitable on yeah, yeah. on your part like I was a paid CEO I worked my my way into building a salary for myself but there there does come a point in in any business where you potentially think oh, actually you know my evolution and my growth is taking me on to to something else and mm. the thing that the charity absolutely did for me was to help me to overcome the grief that I experienced with losing my mum yeah. so interesting like the way that the the whole process played out but I went to train as a play therapist as well in the meantime and, and yeah. to get some deeper understanding of what that meant for me and why I needed to do it and also why I needed to let it go yeah I bet you walked away with a whole new skill set there. Really, really important, fabulous skill set from doing that. Yeah, definitely. I, I definitely learned what I'm good at and also what I'm not so good at, what I really like, what feels in flow for me and yeah. how to delegate the stuff that is not in my wheelhouse, the stuff mm. that I'm not so good at. And the truth is, I believe that any of us can do anything that we set our mind to. 
But just because we can do it doesn't mean that we should. Mm. Do you know, you, you're so right. I mean, in my membership, you know, I started the membership. I made my own website and everything I did myself. And it's like I could still learn how to do everything myself. Or sometimes it's like it would take me hours and hours to do that thing. Maybe I could pay somebody to do that while I concentrate on something I'm good at. And it just makes sense, doesn't it, after a while? So, yeah, just because you can do it doesn't necessarily mean that you should. Yeah, absolutely. Because it can burn you out as well when you're doing absolutely everything yourself. Yeah, absolutely. So, yeah. So, we're here today. We're going to, we were having a little bit of a chat, weren't we, about how, because you used to have a business that you then went on to help other counsellors to set up charitable enterprises, didn't you? Yes, I did. So what I decided to do sort of towards the end of my journey with Clear Sky, I was, I was like, well, actually, I think, I think lots of people could do this. And there isn't like a joined up national effort going on in terms of one umbrella body that's, that's getting funding for therapy. And the way that it tends to work is that funders like to give money to, to local causes, and they often like to give money to small causes. And even if it's you know, giving £10,000 a year, that could actually make a really big mm. difference to the local community. And especially if there are specialists, therapists, counsellors in that area who could run a service, because you have all the specialist knowledge and skills on how to actually do that, that funding can make a real massive difference. And as long as you've got the skills that um, with budgeting and project planning and writing, anybody can put in a funding application to the right people. So I set up a course which is called Fundraising for Good, which walks people through how exactly to do this for themselves. Um, and the the model that is really accessible to anybody in the UK, especially counsellors and therapists, is the CIC model, which is the Community Interest Company. Mm, yeah. It means that you're a, a company, a limited company, that can that has a social purpose, and therefore you can trade for money, so you could have a private practice, but you can also access grants to get money to start up new projects or to subsidize some services or maybe even run a free service mm. but the understanding that the levels of fundraising can go from like as small as five five thousand pounds a year all the way up to you know millions of pounds a year but on that scale if you're setting up a CIC you're probably going to be down in the you know like under a hundred thousand pounds of fundraising a year which mm. is pretty accessible to most mm. people. I I had looked into starting a CIC company back in the day and what put me off was the paperwork. Mm. Is it very paperwork heavy? Well, the difference between running a charity, a registered charity and a CIC is that a registered charity has loads of paperwork. And I mean, you're, you're responsible to companies, house and the charities commission, those two bodies. You have to have a board of trustees who meet regularly, you need to have minutes, you need to have articles of association. But some of this stuff is it's not actually that difficult to put in place. It just takes a bit of time. But with a CIC, there's much, much less paperwork to do. So you can have, it's advisable to have a board of directors. And they say, you know, three would be a good number of unrelated directors. But you yourself, even if you're getting paid under the CIC, can be one of those directors. So you want to bring in people that have got like different skill sets to you, maybe an accountant and a marketing person because they actually help you strategically. But then in terms of paperwork, I'm pretty sure that you just have to um, submit a statement at the end of the year saying that the good work that your your CIC has done. So there's some initial stuff. I actually have a a full free webinar on 
on how to set up a CIC, which we could link to maybe. Oh, that would be fantastic. Yeah. Yeah. Let me have a link to that. I'll put that in the show notes below. Yeah. Excellent. Yeah. So I did that with a lawyer who talks through what actually what all the paperwork is. So if you are really interested in, I would definitely recommend checking out that webinar. Excellent. Formative. Do you still have that course? Is that still running? I do. Yeah, it's available. So it's, it's a self-paced course. You go through it at your own, in your own time and at your own pace, but it teaches you exactly what it is that you need to be able to demonstrate in a funding bid to be successful. And it also gives a list of funders as well in the UK that you can apply to. So I would say that anyone who wants to start a fundraising journey, just it is work, but anything is work. Absolutely. Starting anything's going to be work, isn't it? Obviously. Exactly. But... Some of the, the people that have gone through the course have gone on to, to achieve you know big sums of money, like £30,000 a year to deliver a therapy service wow. in their local community, which makes a huge amount of difference to people who can't afford it. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, what we're here to talk about is um, different ways to give back. And we're going to look at different ways that we can do work like with charities or in charitable settings. But I suppose the, the great big picture thing is you could actually start your own charity or CIC company if you want to and go go the whole hog and um, actually start something like that if you feel like it. So it's great that you have that course and that you're someone that's available to help out. So if you're listening to this and you sound you, you fancy starting a CIC company, then Sophia's your girl. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'd love to. It's always great to be to to see people making progress as mm. well and just know, like you know, I see it on Facebook and I don't, I don't even hear about it some of the time. But just some of the companies that have done the course, being like, thanks to the National Lottery for giving us ten thousand pounds for wow. a COVID relief project, and I'm just like, yay! Yeah, that, you know, just being a little part involved in that is amazing. Fantastic. So one of the reasons that we're talking here today is, I mean, it's a big debate, isn't it? It's a massive debate. And I don't want to get into the debate as such, but that thing about working for free or giving subsidies to people or volunteering. Now, I think the thing that I would like to say is that when it comes to volunteering, I see that there's quite a big difference between somebody that volunteers voluntarily, as it were, rather than someone who feels that they ought to or feels that they have to to get the experience would you what do you think about that yeah I I can see the difference that you're talking about Mm. I think there's the underlying motivation is it that I'm doing it because I don't feel like I'm good enough to charge for my services there a money story going on here yeah yeah and I think that's why you know when I set up the charity I definitely did it from a place of well, there's not enough money out there for these services. But what I came to find was that actually schools were happy to pay. Yeah. You just got to find the right ones. And and actually the stories I were hearing about people won't pay for my services, they were other people's money stories that they were then putting onto my yes. beliefs about therapy. Yeah, absolutely. I, I hear this like all the time. And the, the thing that people sometimes don't see is sometimes when you put your prices up, because I did a podcast last week about... um last week or the week before, um, about putting your prices up. And I had somebody contact me and said that they put the price up of their, of their, of their service and that they've got more clients getting in touch with them. And sometimes we sort of, we have our own money stories and sometimes we need to really examine it because it's not necessarily true, but those money stories can really stop us in our tracks as for anybody that's in the helping profession. But I think for counsellors at 
personally, I think it's particularly difficult because, and especially here in the UK, because we have the NHS and I think that people are often still used to thinking of anything that might be classed as healthcare as coming on the, under the umbrella of should be free at the point of, of delivery. So I think for people in private practice in the UK, I think it can be a little bit, a little bit difficult, can make them very anxious when it comes to asking people that they perceive to be people in need, asking them for money. And it, it's, I know when I first started, I was, I spent a lot of time with my super, supervisor talking about this because I, I really felt it. I mean, I really, really felt it. And it's, it's probably something I've been working on all the way through from then right up until now, like how I feel about money and charging people to help them. I mean, one of the things that I think is if we take away the word help when it comes to it, because if we help someone, like if we help a little old lady across the road, we don't get them to the other side of the road and say, right, that's a pound then, please, do we? <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, I think we can feel a little bit like that in our service if we think that we're helping people. So a little trick that I sort of suggest is just call it work. Call what you're doing is work. I'm working with people. I'm not helping people. I'm working with people to help them to get the transformation that they want or need. And that's like a really simple little I love the way words can make such a difference, but that's a really simple wordy trick that can that can really help. But I do think that idea of us wanting to help doing it because we're we think it's a nice thing. That's not right. It's not even that it's a nice thing to do. I think it's very wrapped up in all sorts of different things, isn't it? So the one thing is the idea of volunteering. If people literally decide that I definitely want to go and volunteer for this charity and you actually search out that charity because it's what you really believe in that's one thing but like you say if you're doing it because you worry that you're not good enough in some way or don't value yourself in some way then that's kind of another another thing isn't it and I see a lot of counsellors who will have their placement and obviously placements you're working usually for free which is which is fine but sometimes people carry on those placements for years and I think there's an impact on Obviously, there's an impact on our income because whilst we're working for free, we're not making an income. I think it affects us really energetically as well. I think the work that we do is really, really hard work and it has an impact on us energetically. And I think there's, yeah, it's something to do with valuing ourselves. And I really want to encourage counsellors more and more to really value the work that they do because I think we're in a profession that's not necessarily valued as much as it should be, in in my humble opinion. I completely agree with you. I think, you know, when when working with charities, we so often see the rates that they might pay as being very low. The way that I see it is that it can be about lack of understanding about what it is that we actually do, first of all. But also it is, I think we can take some personal responsibility for saying, my time is worth way more than 20 pounds an hour. And maybe that charity, you know, it's not you as an individual that's expected to be the charity to give your time for for free or for cheap, but actually charities exist as a vehicle to help people. And actually, if we can, we're going to talk about this today, but if we can get in there and support the charities to support people in the best way possible, that's not only the beneficiaries that they support at the other end, but that's the people that they employ. Yeah including counsellors and therapists. Yeah, absolutely. 
So what we're going to look at today is because sometimes I think as counsellors, we counsellors do tend to be very giving people and sometimes they'll feel obliged to work with somebody at a lower rate or go and work somewhere or give, give, give. There's a lot of giving, which I understand. But there's a, I want people to be able to give or to, to sort of share some ideas so people can give, give back to the community, give back, but that it's not taking too much from your own reserves. And you've got some brilliant ideas. So shall we go through some of those? Yeah, definitely. Excellent. So we've gone, we've sort of going to look at some things that go from like really small things that we can do that will make a difference, going right up to things that might take a little bit more time and energy. So where, where should we start? Well, I think if we start with the small, easy wins, that's a really good place to begin, because these are really things that are accessible to anybody and everybody. And if you feel so inclined to give back, like this is something that you could do today that will make you feel like actually I've made a bit of a difference. Um, And the first thing that we will be talking about is like how you can actually get involved in fundraising for another charity or for a charity that you like. So I think it's important when you want to get involved in fundraising that obviously you find a cause that you feel aligned to looking for either local charities and causes So that's organizations that only operate within your town or your region. Or you can go for the larger national charities that have local offices closer to you. But I I would suggest that like it can actually be quite hard. And some some listeners may have found this. It can actually be quite hard to like get into working with charities or even be able to speak to somebody within management. That is because the bigger they are, the more they have to do, obviously. So the the smaller local charities, you're probably going to have more success with that's a great that's a great point yeah I I think the beauty as well obviously if you're working with local charities you can start to really build a relationship with that charity can't you yeah definitely and see the benefits of the work that you're doing yeah and that it makes a real big difference and an impact so that's a great place to start and some charities are like super super small one person running it maybe even part-time so you know you can you can find one that has enough time and capacity to to support you to help them with fundraising but you might have to knock on a few doors before you find one that feels like a right fit for you yeah and so there's some really oh sorry I was just wondering how would you choose one would you choose something that that fits with um like your niche or would you choose something that just fits with something that you particularly believe in because what we're doing is we're trying to give back but also at the same time help to to get some visibility I guess locally help you know help to do some help to do some good locally but get get visible yeah and the two you can absolutely absolutely do both so if you are thinking actually I'd quite like to work in the charity sector this is a great foot in the door so I think if you chose a an organization that has beneficiaries so these are just people that it supports who could benefit from your services then that would be a great fit for you. It might not be. It might be that they don't already have a counselling service attached to them, or they don't have any therapeutic support. But you, you getting in there with that charity gives you a route in to maybe help them set up something and get funding for something, where then you could come in and do the work for them. So, like you said, a great way to start building relationships. But I think it's important that when you do approach a charity, you already have a plan for what it is that you want to do and how you want to do it. If you're going to go to them and be like, 
I'm a volunteer and I, you know, I want to give back in some way. They're either, they might not have time to sort of walk you through that, or they, they might use you in all kinds of ways that aren't beneficial to you. So yeah, we're going to talk about how you put together a little bit of a plan for yourself today. Yeah, brilliant idea. So if you've got a bit of a plan of the sort of thing that you'd be interested in 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 doing, then you can go and, and it's easier to talk to them then, isn't it? Saying, I've got this thing that you might be interested in. Yes, exactly. And you could start super small. So either by if you want if you fancy giving a personal donation, you can set up a direct debit each month to donate to that charity. The charity's probably not likely gonna know that you've done that and you might not get a lot of um opportunity for contact if you've done that but on a personal level that can feel really good for you um but the another way that you can do fundraising is sort of do your own personal fundraising challenge where you set yourself a goal and you achieve it uh, and you ask for donations from your friends and family and then you give that amount of money to the charity obviously the the more you raise the more they will pay attention to what you've done obviously we had the really great example of captain tom last year and how much oh, yes. money he raised for charity, yeah. which was incredible. And if we think about the level of challenge, you know, what he did was amazing because of his age and the fact that it was a physical challenge for him. So if you think about where you are and what would actually be a bit of a stretch, then you're going to be able to raise more money in that way. Yeah, brilliant. So the first things are quite hands-off almost, aren't they? It's more about about donating, donating money. Yeah donating money because you know any every little really really does help and does make a difference these charities the other option that you've got obviously things are slightly different at the moment because of the covid situation but when events are running again things like fundraising events um stalls those types of things you could offer to to volunteer your time to run a stall at a fundraising event um or it could even be you know, you could just be raising money, you could be selling something and taking donations, or you could be offering time and advice to people that might be coming along. So there are other ways that you can give back that are fairly straightforward and easy. And I love that because as a counsellor, very often we're quite isolated, aren't we? (laughs) We're working on our own. Mm. So a chance to get out there and be part of the community is always good, isn't it? Yeah, definitely. And just supporting people like this is what we train to do, right? So it's just a different way and it's that you might be able to access more people face to hopefully face to face soon yeah. Yeah, if you're crossed, teamed up yes. with a charity yeah. yeah but then sort of moving up then if we want to think about how we could actually use our expertise as a way to give back to charity we could think about creating free expert resources that they then give out to their beneficiaries so as i said before like the charity is the vehicle it sits between beneficiaries and the people that that work for it or the funders even. Um, and sometimes they they don't have the expertise within the organization or at board level to give out advice and they may have to pay for it. But actually you could donate your time to help them to create some free resources that would be really beneficial for them to, to give out to their beneficiaries. Yeah, And that could be anything really. So it could be like a free guide to have some helpful tips to manage anxiety, like a PDF download could be some video recordings that they could access or other kind of small downloadable resources that probably don't take you too long you might even have something that's already that you've already got that you could repurpose for them and they could put into their branding but what I quite like about this is that you could 
really put your mark on it. They might let you put your website on it or your your name and phone number so that actually people could contact you if they want a little bit more help, which is just another marketing channel for you. Yeah, you can either make them yourselves, can't you? You could use something like Canva or you can actually get leaflets made up really quite low cost these days. So you could go down that route if you wanted. Or of course, if it's an ebook, you don't have to really pay anything. You just have to produce it. So that's quite um, quite an easy thing to do, really, isn't it? Yeah, definitely. And if you're working with an organisation, like you, you're donating really your expertise to them in that capacity and they could pay for any printing. But that's a great way for them to get free expert help that is directly beneficial to the people that use their services. Yeah. Um, You could do a collaboration on it. You know, these are just ways of building that relationship, like you said, where you can think about ways that you could work together in the future. Yeah. I really like that. I like that because it's it's very personal and it feels good to do it because you're really helping. It doesn't take too much effort, but you know it's going to be really useful and it helps with that relationship as well. Yeah, absolutely. And it gives sometimes, you know, the people who pick up the phones in charity or the admin, even the admin team, somebody might be ringing for actual, you know, I need some help. And if they don't have anywhere to signpost to, they can often be feeling a little bit like those beneficiaries are left in the lurch so actually if they know you as a recommended person they might pass on your details as well and say yeah get in touch with with this counselor they might be able to help yeah cool nice one so what else could we do what would be the next in your little difficulty list (laughs) (laughs) well so something that might take a little bit more time but I think is really worthwhile doing is that you can help to educate So I mentioned earlier that sometimes charities might not know what they should be budgeting for therapy work or even, you know, one-to-one groups. They they might not know. They might just be going off, what can we do at the the lowest possible price that's going to cost us the least amount? And part of our job as experts is to go in and help to educate. And we can do that in a couple of ways. So we can offer something like a free workshop to staff that work within an organization. And that could be something really basic, like an introduction to counseling skills or just like, you know, how does counseling work? Why is it important to that we are able to, to talk or, or how to do active listening when you only have five minutes? You know, it could be something really small, that, but that's very specific to that charity and the way that they work. And when you do that, you're giving people a flavor of what it is like to work with you. And you're doing the first one for free and you know maybe as a taster and that's your donating and giving back but you never know they might come back and say actually that was really good we'd like you to do a whole day of training or we'd like you to consult on this project that we're trying to set up and we'd like to use your expertise so in that way helping to educate positioning yourself as an expert can actually get you in the door to get some work which is fantastic but even if you don't get work you're still giving back yeah absolutely um, by helping educate yeah so by offering, so it could be that you're offering not necessarily the, the service user, for want of a better word, but the staff, as so the staff that are working within that charity. Is that what you mean? Yeah, but I actually think you could do either. So yeah, one side of it is going in and working with the staff, because once you can get in there and educate about what it is that you do, it's actually more likely that they will want to use your services. They might not see how counselling fits in with anything that they're doing right now. But actually, we know that counselling can be super beneficial for almost anybody that's going yeah. through a challenge. And charities are there to, to help people. Um, or they may have other, you know, 
we wouldn't be going to an animal charity and saying, let's talk about counselling skills because, you know, it's not particularly relevant. But any charity that's set up to make people's lives better can benefit from having some aspect of counselling, listening, a listening service, or, you know, just human interaction. We can support with developing those skills in that way. And then mm. they might see, well, actually, it would be really useful for us to have somebody within the service that, that's paid for that we can send people to. Yeah. And this is where the relationship's so important. Once they get to know you and once you've sort of, you know, they yeah, once they get to know you, then then you're going to be the, the person that they choose. Their go-to person, yeah, for yeah. sure. And on the other side of it as well, you know, we've talked about how you can go in and work with staff, but you can also offer to give your time to do talks for beneficiaries. Um, so anybody that might be using the service who could benefit from maybe a talk about how to manage anxiety you know it could be a 30 minute could even be a webinar because obviously we can't be yeah getting together right now offering your time to do a 30 minute webinar on some tips to manage anxiety or manage low mood it is another way that you can get in front of a group of people who maybe don't know about you and give back and you may get some referrals back from that as well yeah um, I mean, this as well is networking. It's making connections and it's just being visible and elevating yourself as well. So it really is a tick, tick thing, isn't it? Tick for them, tick for you. Definitely. Everyone's a winner. Yeah. Everyone's a winner. And with charity, it's kind of easier because they they don't have the budgets for these things. So they're probably more likely to say yes. Whereas if you were going into a corporate, you might find that you have more gatekeepers in the way yeah. kind of going why do you want to do this for free <laughs> you yeah. know they've kind of got a bit more of a, an eye on the purse strings maybe yeah yeah I like that I have done free workshops in the past for various different things and it's great it was great for me to give me the practice and to get me used to doing it and all the rest of it but it was great for them because I was helping groups of people with it and yeah tick tick everybody's happy yeah it's all good yeah, definitely. And <laughs> once you've done once you've done one, you know, you may feel a bit nervous about it, but see it as practice. Yeah. You can go absolutely. off and do another one and you can just keep repurposing it. <laughs> yeah. Which is, you know, something that I know you talk about a lot, but you do you put together one talk, you can go to five different charities and do the same talk. Absolutely. You know all about repurposing. I know you do you're a repurposing ex- expert as well. <laughs> a woman of many talents. But the other thing is, it might be that you've um, you might have thought about maybe putting on a course about anxiety. This is a way to just go out there and just kind of not practice. We're not practicing on people, but it's a chance to go out and try it, see what it feels like and get some experience so that you can then work out what people need, what works best. So, yeah, it's great. Yeah, it can really, a really, really good help. Idea. Yeah. yeah, it could get feedback and you can tweak it, make it the most effective as possible. Yeah, and give absolutely. Back. Love it. Yeah. So what's the next thing? So something that you can do if you're thinking, actually, yeah, I feel like I could really offer some substantial help here to a charity by helping them to set up a counselling service if they don't already have one, is, is position yourself as a strategic partner in a way. So you go to them and you say, how about we do a collaboration? I'll help you put together a funding bid to get money to deliver a counseling service. And then what happens is that you are the expert in letting them know, you know, how many sessions they should budget for, what they would need to deliver on that service, what kind of room would they need, how many people they could see, you know, all those types of things. Cause they're the, 
this is the project planning bit that maybe fundraisers don't know how to do for a counselling service. This is fantastic. So this is going to a place that could that their people could really benefit from counselling but don't have a counselling service. This is you helping to get counselling to people who need it, but you're not ha- actually doing all the legwork, as it were, of having to go and sort out the funding. You're letting them know these are the sorts of things that could happen and they then go and do it. And that's fantastic. That's kind of, that's the sort of thing I'd like to do because paperwork is something I hate. So they're kind of doing the paperwork, probably, I'm assuming so. Whereas you're just going and saying, right, these are the sorts of things that you could offer. This is going to help people buy this and this and this. And you probably need a room or two rooms or, and just, you know, really help them to set that service up. I mean, wouldn't you feel fantastic if you helped a, a charity to set up a service, all those people could get that help they need. And you're not the one that's having to actually go and do the counselling. And, and you're the one who's making a massive difference. And the counsellors that are doing it would be getting paid as well. They're not all having to volunteer. Mm. That would feel fantastic, wouldn't it? I mean, that just would be brilliant. <laughs> Let's do it. <laughs> Let's do one. Yeah. So there could be like a um, there could be like a hospice nearby, just a small hospice that you might approach if you're, you know, if you work with grief and bereavement, you could actually go to them and say, this is something that could help. Yeah, absolutely. Because the charity is there to, for specific objectives. Okay. So let's say the hospice, it is a hospice. It's a a specific objective is to support people through end of life care, but that doesn't necessarily equate to counseling. We know that the counseling is an offshoot that would benefit the other people that are struggling as a result of somebody being in that hospice. And so whoever's set up the charity or who is the fundraiser, they may not know what other what is needed around it. And counseling is so often that part of that holistic support package that can really make a big difference. So you don't have to go to charities and organizations that are there for counseling and because they're already doing that. Yeah. Find one that is doing something linked and then go and help them to set it up. Yeah. Oh, that's fantastic, isn't it? That's so mm. good. So that really is how you can properly make a difference, in my humble opinion. That would properly make a difference to a lot of people. Absolutely. And I think the thing that people maybe don't realise is, I mean, this is quite a creative way of getting work, right? <laughs> it's really thinking outside the box and creating your own job. But, you know, we maybe don't realise that we can just, that there are organisations out there. They have the, the charity registration number or whatever it is. Even schools are eligible to apply for some funding, like the National Lottery, £10,000. Go to a school and say, I can come and do the work with these children. But the thing that you need to back it up is just, you need to have all the evidence there that, that says why this is a good idea. Uh, and a fundraiser would be able to do that piece of work. You don't have to necessarily do that. Right, Okay. So this is why you'd really need to have a think in advance of the sort of what route you'd, you'd sort of be happy to go down, really, because this is something that you probably really think carefully what would be the right charity to go to for this. Yes. I mean, one of my um, one of the students that came on my fundraising course, she actually partnered with her local church and the church put, put in a bid for £25,000 and they were awarded the money to deliver a therapy service to its parishioners 
So she helped them put the bid together. Once they got the money, then they paid her to do the work. Wow. Mm. That's fantastic, isn't it? It, is. it, it just makes me so so often we think right for me to give back I've got to go and be work for free which is taking such a lot out of us I mean I've, I was talking a lot before Christmas about what would you do if you had an extra 600 pounds in your purse every single month and it's like oh well, I'd do this and I'd do that and I'd I'd pay off my debt so I'd leave my job that I don't like or I'd go on a holiday or all these different things it just means security and all the rest of it if you at the moment are working on a voluntary basis, you're potentially, I mean, if you were sitting in front of children in need, it's unlikely that you put your hand in your pocket to the tune of £600 every single month. But in effect, if you're seeing three clients, that's stopping you from earning that £600. And I really believe it's brilliant to give back, definitely. But does it have to be to that level? There are so many different ways that we can do it. And something like this is your way to give back, but you still actually are going to get paid for it. I mean, I just think it's, I just really like this. I really like this because I like giving back and I like to get paid for it as well. <laughs> I like yeah. to get paid. So, yeah. And there's nothing wrong with that. Like, yes. as you said, giving back doesn't mean that you have to be putting your hand in your pocket all the time. Yeah. Actually, it's creative. It's finding creative solutions to, to society's problems and yes. we, know, we know that so many people could benefit from what it is that we offer yes. so let's think of a creative way that we can actually get the money to do the work I think as well just going off on a bit of an aside with covid at the moment I think we all know that this there's going to be an explosion in people needing help with mental health issues over the next coming few years definitely so this would be potentially a really good time to get involved with something like this, because I would imagine there might be funding for more mental health services. So this could possibly be a good time to get involved so that you can help people to get the right sort of help that they need. As an, as an expert, as a counsellor, you know the sorts of things people might need and it puts you in a good position to help to make sure that that happens. Yeah, definitely. There are lots of funding pots available for COVID support. I think the other thing to that we need to consider as well is obviously in this climate, lots of charities are struggling. Yes. So it's because they've not been able to to deliver services in the way that maybe that they would. So it's how do we support them to think of creative ways, maybe to either spend the money that they've got to help the, the beneficiaries or to come up with new solutions for how they might work moving forward. Yes. And I know um, a lot of people are working with groups a bit more these days, group, running groups, actual counselling groups, getting funding to run counselling groups would be a cheaper way for charities to provide a counselling service as well, I guess. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. So it is all about how you how you package up kind of the most, the biggest impact in the most effective way. That's yes. what they're looking for. It's all about impact. And yeah. how do we know that what we're doing makes a difference? Right. Okay, cool. Brilliant. Oh, fantastic. That's great. So if we go to the thing that's going to be like the, the biggest commitment, what would that be? So I, in my opinion, the biggest commitment that you can take in kind of giving back to a charity is to take on a trusteeship, which means that you join the board of a charity as a volunteer and you help them steer the ship, keep on track and keep in line with sort of their financial and legal obligations but also by giving strategic advice and being a support to the senior executive team 
So often in charities on the board, at board level, you'd probably have kind of more business brains, I'd say, strategic people, maybe sales, operations, fundraising. But you might not necessarily have a therapeutic person at that level. And having a, a therapeutic brain at strategy level can be really helpful for helping the charity to shape how it is that they're doing things, making sure that they are having the best impact, delivering services that are of high quality to the beneficiaries that they're working with. So this would require you to put aside probably a bit of time every week and commit to going to trustee meetings, which could be as regularly as once a month, maybe, depending on the charity. Uh, sometimes they're, they're much less frequent, maybe once a quarter. But it's really a, a personal challenge, I suppose. Taking on a trusteeship is like stepping into a role and saying, I really want to make a difference to this charity by giving, lending my brain to help them move forward. Yeah. And this is, it sounds like a real passion project. It sounds like something that you do almost as a hobby, as something you really believe in, you're really passionate about, and you go and do it really because you you fully believe in in what the charity stands for. Yes, exactly that. Because it is, it's a commitment. It's also like a legal obligation. You become a director of the organisation. So you're looking after it. So if you really believe in something, for sure, it's a, it's a great option to go and get involved, but you, that's not a paid role. So yeah. It, might, it would look really good on your CV. You might be a networker and a connector of people and it might help you kind of open a few doors outside of the organisation, but within the charity, you typically wouldn't get paid as a trustee. Yeah. And it sounds, it's that, that's the sort of thing that I would probably really enjoy as well. You know, I've all, I haven't done it so much for a while, but I used to love getting involved with organisations and, and doing things. And I love raising money. This, this, it's just something I really like. So fundraising turns me on. You know, it's like, how can we get some more money for this thing? Right, we can do this and this. And it's great. If Do you think you'd need, what sort of qualities do you think you'd need if you were going to be that? Or does it change according to the charity? I think there's probably a few common qualities across the board so the ability to think strategically is always helpful to be able to see the bigger picture you don't necessarily need to be able to see all the fine details but you need to be able to hold the vision of what the charity is trying to achieve and come up with creative solutions to problems that it might be having but I think you also need to be fairly impartial and make good judgment calls so because it is essentially you're also kind of responsible for people's jobs within the organization um, so you don't have to be an expert in every area, but you need to be able to work together with other people to really make the best calls that will benefit the charity and that so you can continue to see that long-term vision. Yeah, I mean, I'm thinking, like like you say, the creativity, creative thinking, that would be something I think I would see. Now my brain's going, oh, maybe I could do that. <laughs> maybe I could do that. I literally am yeah. thinking, oh, so I really have an affinity with helping homeless. I, I, I really have an affinity with that. And it's like, Oh, how could I do something to do with that? So, yeah. Mm. So how would you go about that? What would you do? What would they need from you? Well, I think, first of all, you would just maybe have a check of the website to see if they're looking for any trustees. I mean, sometimes charities, they won't, depending on the size of them, they'll, they might not be advertising for new trustees, but they might welcome the opportunity to have, have somebody new on the board. So there are a couple of websites that you can check as well for trustee positions. Charity Jobs is one. So if if you're not particularly, you know, have your heart set on, on a particular charity, you could go and see all the different vacancies. There's also another uh, website called Reach Volunteering where you could have a, have a look. 
but sometimes charities will often advertise their trustee roles on their website so definitely go and check out the website and then if you feel like actually you'd really like to give something back to that organization I just recommend getting in touch with either their chair of the board directly or maybe even the CEO if it's board level stuff that we're talking about you should be getting in touch with the chair whoever the chairman is yeah Um, and you'll be able to find their details probably quite easily that's, that's, that sounds it's making me feel quite excited I'm now thinking oh god I could get involved with something like that that would be something really interesting and different that I could get involved with that uses the skills and again for any counsellor we have so many skills I, I don't think we're always aware how many skills that we've accrued through the work that we do we have so many skills so and then of course you learn different skills as well it's a way of learning new skills I mean that that really turns me on I'm really quite interested in that now yeah I think it's it is an amazing opportunity I I think there is always going to be an affinity probably for people who've trained in counseling and charity because it's passion you do the work because you love it and that's why charities exist because they believe that there's that the need is there and it's so great that it needs to be solved and marrying the two together can be a really fulfilling journey oh that's fantastic that's fantastic that's a lovely that's a lovely thing to end with isn't it fulfilling that journey I absolutely love that so have you got anything else you want to talk about with that trusteeship I think if you're going to go into a trustee role you just acknowledge that it's going to be a commitment from you maybe for a year or two years um, and be willing to put the time aside and give it your attention I think people may you know often go into boards on trustee in trustee roles because it looks good on the CV but not necessarily want to give it the time that it deserves but I know obviously anybody who's listening to this podcast especially if you come from a counseling background you you want to do a good job and so just giving it the time and the attention that it needs and you know where can I help there's always places that you can help within charities and yeah get stuck in yeah so it has to be a passion project I think you're so right I mean if you go into it because you think right this is going to help my business or this is going to be good for networking or this is going to help visibility then it's it's not going to work because you're just not going to want to do it because it really is a passion project isn't it definitely and you're going to start having some awkward conversations with the rest of the board who are going you're not really pulling your weight yeah (laughs) don't really want that yeah it kind of leaks out doesn't it if you're not genuine it just leaks out so yeah Oh, fantastic. That's fantastic. So we've looked at loads of things, really, from th- like the, the probably the, the smallest thing, well, not necessarily small, but things like uh, getting involved in fundraising, either me- uh, helping to raise money or running a stall, which is fantastic. That's fun to do, actually, things like that. Creating some free expert resources for people that are either working there or people that are using the service, that could be a really, really good thing to do and low cost as well, low cost and low effort for that. Helping to educate people there. You can offer free workshops. You can work uh, do free workshops for the beneficiaries and the people working there as well as the people like the service users, I guess, um, which would be great if you're the sort of person that likes teaching or training, that would be perfect, wouldn't it? Collaborating on a practice project that sounds fantastic as well that would be interesting and could be fun as well um but again you're getting involved but you're not having to do all the paperwork there which is always good for me and then the trusteeship which to be honest I would never have thought of doing that but it's quite it's sparking me at the moment I'm thinking that sounds very interesting so I might well look into that myself 
So there are loads of different ways that we can give back depending on how much effort we want to put into it, how much time we want to put into it. But all of those is an, a, a sense of getting something back from doing it. Because I remember when I did my placement, I was working at a GP surgery for, and I can't remember now, I want to say three years, but it might have been two, maybe it just felt like three years. But I was there for a long time and I didn't feel valued. I didn't even get a Christmas card. I didn't feel valued at all. And I think that sometimes can happen when we volunteer in certain places. I'm sure it doesn't always happen. But something like this, you're going to get the good stuff yourself, aren't you? You're going to get the good stuff of that good feeling of giving and knowing that what you're doing is really helping. So, yeah, some brilliant mm. ideas there. Thank you so much. You're very welcome. I just think <laughs> it's important that, yeah, go in with a plan. And if you've got a plan, it will be easier for them to say yes. Yeah. So think what you want to do in advance. Yeah. Definitely. Oh, that's fantastic. I'm sure everybody listening to this, I'm hoping everybody listening to this is going to be all fired up and thinking of if they want to, you don't have to do any of this, but if you want to, if you want to give back, this is a way of doing it without having to, you know, work for free. Mm. Now I know, I happen to know that if anybody's interested in doing something like this and not really sure where they want to go with it or what's right for them or could maybe do with a little bit of support I know that you do offer like a, a, a power hour so people can come and you can help them to decide what they want to do do you want to tell us a little bit about that yeah absolutely well I think my my specialist skill that I've kind of uh, learned recently is that I have I have quite a good ability to kind of see the big picture and the small detail which makes it you know if you're feeling stuck or actually I don't know how to take a step forward come and have a chat with me. We'll spend an hour on you. You know, what, what skills do you have that you could back? What give back? What is it that you actually want to do? And together we can come up with a bit of a plan for you to move forward. And it might be one of the things that we've talked about today, or you might be thinking, actually, I want to go ahead and set up something on my own. So yes, I'd be really happy to speak with anybody who wants to take something forward, really. If they feel, if they feel like you do, Jane, that actually they're yeah. really turned <laughs> on by this idea, <laughs> having somebody to talk it through with can be really helpful to give you some steps to move forward. Yeah. Um, and anybody that comes who's listened to this podcast can get 50% off a power hour uh, oh, yeah. by using the code charity when they click yeah. on my link. Well, what we've done, actually, Sophia and I have put, I say Sophia and I have done this, Sophia's basically done this, but <laughs> we've, we've put together a resource that will sort of go through the things we've talked about today. And all of the details are on there, all the details of how to get in touch with Sophia, how to find out about the Power Hour. There'll be a link to that below this recording. So if you check that out, you can have a look at this and then obviously get in touch with Sophia. And it's great that she's put together this special offer for us, which is fantastic Sophia this has been really really good thank you so much it's really it's exciting to see because sometimes we get a bit blinkered and we think oh I've got to do this or I've got to do this it's exciting to see that there are so many different ways that we can sort of broach the same subject and we can decide ourselves we're in control of what we want to do how much we want to do it you know how much time we want to um, devote to it I think it's an absolutely fantastic way of giving back and helping people and feeling really good about it rather than feeling drained by it, I guess. Mm, definitely. Yeah, it's good for everybody. Fantastic. Thanks, Sophia. Thank you so much for having me.
Well, wasn't Sophia fantastic? How are you feeling now? I just felt so uplifted and inspired. So if you're feeling like that and you need a little bit of extra help, remember we've got a free resource going together with this podcast. You can find it at janetravis.co.uk slash 32. So head off over and get that now. So that's it for now. Now, it would be lovely for you to come and connect with me. You'll find me at Instagram, where I'm at Grow Your Private Practice, all lowercase, no spaces. And at LinkedIn, you'll find me at Jane Travis. So come and say hi. That would be fantastic. Have a great week. And if you decide to do some work with charity, I'd love to know. And I'll see you again soon. Bye. Thank you so much for listening and if you enjoyed this then please subscribe to the show and while you're there I'd love it if you could leave me a big shiny five-star review bye